Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Craig Dyson. My wife, Kara, and I are the pastors of Convo Church, and this is our podcast. I wanted to thank you for joining us today. I hope this message inspires you, encourages you, and builds your faith. Enjoy the message. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it says, But you, somebody say, that's me. Just so there's no confusion. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And as I said last week, in Reno, in Sparks, in Spanish Springs, in Carson, in Northwest, in Northern Nevada, in the western part of the United States, and to the ends of the earth. Sometimes when you read the Bible, you need to make it personal to your life and where you are. It's 100% relevant, but sometimes you can just read stories and kind of feel disconnected like, oh, that's, that's over there in a different part of the world. It's probably not the same. But God has called every single one of us to be a part of what he is doing in the world. And you may not be someone who changes everything in the world, but you absolutely are somebody who can change things in your world. Your world may be your, your marriage, your world may be your family, your world may be where you work. So don't allow the mission, the global mission of God to uh, make you feel diminished in what you feel like you're capable of doing. But today you need to know above anything else that you have, through the Holy Spirit, you have supernatural purpose. Can somebody say supernatural purpose? That's actually the title of the message today. This is part four in our Uncensored Holy Spirit series. And we hope that you do take notes because what we say on Sunday, it's not a talk. Um, this isn't, you know, it's not a TEDx situation up here. Nothing wrong with that. But that's not what we're doing. We're speaking to your Monday through your Saturday. So hopefully we say something that, that connects with your heart and your mind. And you're able to write that down or, or write it in your notepad and during the week pull it back up and read over it and pray over it. And hopefully it will bring some impact and some change into your life. But Father, we just pray, Lord, in the moments that we have together that you would open up our hearts, open up our minds. We want to receive from you. We, we admit, we confess that we're not perfect. We don't have it all figured out yet, and we need your help. And so we're grateful that you aren't just distant from us observing, but you have sent your spirit to be in us and with us, empowering us to do the things that quite possibly on our own is not possible. And we thank you for your faithfulness in the mighty name of Jesus, amen. Now let me, if it's okay with you, I wanna be a little transparent, a little real with you for a few minutes, but I wonder if anyone here has ever asked the question, what is my purpose? And maybe even a little bit further, have you ever wondered to yourself, and you can say yeah or, or no, whatever, but let me be honest about myself. I have had moments in my life where I have even asked myself the question, is my life, does it even matter? Is what I'm doing, is what I'm about, is what I have done with, does it even matter? Does it make a difference? And I, I don't know if that makes you uncomfortable because you think pastors are supposed to have all their stuff together all the time and they should never have any issues or questions, just filled with faith and all we ever do is just spit Bible verses all the time. But even, but, but pastors are real people too and so for my wife and I, we, we're real people and we ask ourselves questions, we have struggles, we have thoughts, believe it or not, we have doubts. And sometimes you have to go back to realize that you are not in this on your own. You have to realize that God doesn't make mistakes. God doesn't create mistakes. As a matter of fact, did you know that your very existence 
is a miracle. The fact that you, as a person, as an individual, you are here as a miracle. And, I, and let me, if I can, let me give you a few, just a few quick verses that hopefully will be of some uh, encouragement to you to just paint the picture of how much God loves you and how much he has been present and involved, not just in your life, but before you were ever a thought that would come to uh, pass in this world. So check this out. Here's, here's one. In Psalm 139, there's a lot of chapters in, in Psalm, the book of Psalm, by the way. Verse 14, it says this. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are all your works. My soul knows it very well. You are one of his works. Here's another one for you. Jeremiah 1, uh, chapter 1, verse 5. This is God speaking. He says, I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart and appointed you. Our purpose is not connected to once we show up in the flesh on the scene. Our purpose is connected to the God who knew us and created us and knew what we would do and knew who we would be before we were ever a thought in our mother's eyes. Here's another one for you, Jeremiah 29, 11. God's, God's speaking here, he says, for I know the plans that I have for you and they are plans for, guess what? Good. And not for disaster. I love that that's in there just in case there's any confusion what good is. Plans for good and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. God is not some cruel puppet master up in heaven dangling carrots in front of your face, controlling your every move, throwing things at your life so that you can be miserable. He is unveiling good plans for your life. That doesn't mean that it is a carefree life. It doesn't mean that it is a problem-free life. It doesn't mean that it is a sickness and trial and tragedy-free life, but it means that the things that God wants to do in and through you to, to, uh, to, and, the, and all the things that God wants to see done through you are things that are for good. God wants to use you to help somebody else that doesn't see this, know this, or understand this he wants to use you to demonstrate his goodness through your life to impact other people. We can't do this on our own. We need the Holy Spirit. So check this out. Going back to that whole concept that you're a miracle. Now, some smart people uh, back in 2011 did this study, a scientific study, and they wanted to find out what the, prob the, the, the numeric probability of you even being born what that number is. Now check this out. It's a big number. The scientific probability of you being born in the specific time period that you're born to your specific parents with your specific genetic makeup is one in 400 trillion. Now that doesn't even factor in some of the backstory that creates the opportunity for you to be born in a specific time period to specific parents with a specific genetic makeup, makeup because it goes all the way back in their ancestry and the things that had to happen so that those who would become a mom and a dad would even meet, would even have a conversation, would even want to go further than a conversation and get to the point of whether it's being married or, or to the point of having a child. There are so many things 
that has to happen that basically, if you were to take it even further than that stat, the chances of you being you is pretty much zero. God doesn't make mistakes. You are a miracle, and guess what? Miracles have purpose. And if you put those two together, miracles have purpose. You are a miracle. Let's put that together. You have purpose. As a matter of fact, I looked this up just for fun. The odds of you winning, like the jackpot lottery, is one in 300 million. So I don't know if that inspires you to go get some numbers and buy a ticket or not, but I'm just saying the chances of you being you versus the chances of you winning the big lottery, you have a much bigger chance of winning the big lottery than of you being you. So much has to go in the uniqueness of who you are that not even your fingerprint is replicated throughout all of known history. And if, and if some people, and this is not what this is about, but if some people want to believe that our, our identity and our existence came from a grand explosion that somehow formed the universe, that somehow created one planet that is able to sustain life, that somehow is on a certain axis where if it was one degree to this side, we would burn up, and if it was one degree to that side, we'd freeze. To be, man, to be a, a man and to be women who are, are, are so uniquely created in our purpose, so uniquely created in our identity, that just out of a couple of points of data, the chances of you being you are one in 400 trillion. I cannot allow myself to even embrace the concept and the thought that there is not some divine creation that saw and knew who you would be, who knew what I would be, and allowed you to come to be and to have purpose. Now, I know we live in a world where the natural things that bring some people into this world aren't the best situations. I know there are beautiful children that are brought into this world who are referred to as mistakes. I know that there are children and young people who are raised in situations where the people who actually brought them into this world don't want to have anything to do with them. And, and I know because we live in a fallen and a broken world, don't we? But we need to understand that what happens on the outside circumstances towards us does not change and diminish the reality of the purpose that was created and placed inside of us from before we were ever brought into this world. That should be a lesson that I think we take away even for those who are in our adult years and whatever season of life that we may find ourselves, is that we cannot allow the outside circumstances of the life in which we live dictate the beauty and the power of the purpose that is alive inside of us. We are listening to way too many voices on the outside tell us who we are, who we will be, who will never be, what we can do, what we can't do, what we can say and what we can't say, that we begin to forget who we actually are. You need to realize, ladies in this house, that you are a daughter of the Most High God. Men in this house, you need to understand that it doesn't matter what your last name is, you are a son of the Most High God that you have an inheritance, that you have a purpose, that you have a future and a hope and a destiny that God created you so that your life would be used to impact people around you in a powerful way. Don't listen to the voices that have said that you're not good enough. Don't listen to the voices who have told you what you can and can't be. Don't look at the examples of people who have screwed it up. They're not the standard. The standard is who God is. Like, oh man, I don't know if I can measure up to that. 
You can measure up to the one who created you because he put his purpose and seed inside of you. You can accomplish more than you ever believed that you could. Listen, a life with a purpose is a life worth living. We live in a, in a, in a region, it's all over the world, I know that, but in our region more recently, I've heard more and more stories of um, teen suicide is a huge problem in our region. Anywhere it happens, it's a huge problem, but when it's in your home and you're hearing stories of young people who are, for whatever reason, making the choice that they have decided, whether, through, whether, whether they're ill in their mind or whether it's whatever is happening to create these circumstances, that their, their best decision, their best scenario is to remove themselves from this life. It breaks my heart. It should break your heart. Because every time that happens, that's the enemy believing and thinking that he has wiped out one more person that won't be somebody who's going to stomp on his head. And it makes me angry, guys. It makes me upset when I see people living, uh, uh, believing the lie of what the enemy has said. And there is an enemy to God. There is the devil. And you need to understand something. And I learned recently, this is crazy, at least I think it is. Some research was done in the church world, and 60% of people who call themselves believers think that the devil and Satan is a, is a metaphor for just evil. And I want you to know that the devil is real. I want you to know that Satan is real, but this is what you need to know about the devil. This is what you need to know about Satan. He is not God. He is, he is one person. He is one entity. He is not omnipresent. God is. That means he can't be everywhere at once. So if you think the devil's talking to you and, and trying to mess you up and then someone else thinks the devil's talking to them and trying to mess them up, probably not because he can't be in more than one place at one time. But you need to understand the devil is not, um, uh, is not all powerful, God is. The, God, the devil is not all knowing, God is. We're like, well, the devil just knows all about me. No, he doesn't. Stop giving him power that he doesn't have. Here's, here's something that's cool too. One of the things that Jesus said right before he ascended back to heaven and right before the Holy Spirit was poured out and the church was given birth, he says, all authority has been given to me. Guess what he did with that authority? He gave it to you. If all, so if I, gave, if I had 10 pennies in my hand and I gave you all 10 of those pennies, how many of those pennies did I give you? All of them. <laughs> Sorry, that was more like a combo kids analogy right there, but I just wanted to get that across. If all authority has been given to Christ, how much authority has been given to the devil? And if the person who has all authority has given it to those who are, who are Jesus' followers, how much of that portion was given to the devil? Zero. That means that the only authority the devil can have is what you give him. And every single day I hear people talking and I hear the words coming out of their mouth and the things that they are saying, they are speaking the lies, they are speaking the negativity, they're speaking the doubt, they're embracing what the enemy is trying to deceive you with and in turn you are handing over authority to the enemy to think that he has power over someone who is a son or a daughter of God who has been given all the authority that was given to Christ. We have got to stop living with a censored version of the Holy Spirit in our life. It's so easy to grow a big church when you are uh, creating a, a vanilla ice cream situation all the time. And please don't read into that, oh, he must mean so-and-so. I'm not even talking about that. 
This is what I'm talking about. It's easy to, to make, create a feel-good environment where we just make everybody feel good about everything all the time, and we ignore all the issues and the real-life stuff that you're dealing with, and we create a culture where people have to bring their mask with them to church so that you can come in and say, hey, everything's great. How about your marriage? Marriage is great. How about your kids? They do everything we say all the time. How are your finances? Great. Meanwhile, this mask is getting crooked. You know, you're breathing through it with your nose. It's getting sweaty on the inside. It stinks. You get to the car and you're like, Phew. you start blowing up in your, to your spouse. You start yelling at your kids. Why? Because not everything is great. We need something supernatural that is bigger than us, that is more powerful than us. So you by yourself are natural. You by yourself is ordinary, but with the Holy Spirit with us and in us and, and, and literally immersing every aspect of who we are, you, you go from being natural to supernatural. You go from being ordinary to extraordinary. You are able to be, be something that God said you could be, but now you're doing it not with your own strength, but with the strength and the power of God. <clears throat> After the Holy Spirit was poured out, in Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2, I just encourage you, like, get, get hungry for the Word of God and read the book of Acts. Because the book of Acts is not just a really cool story of what happened. It's a story of how God put things into place and how we should be operating today. It's how the early church started to show us what the church today is supposed to look like. But after the Holy Spirit was poured out and everyone was baptized in the Holy Spirit and, and the church was given birth, there were things that happened immediately after this moment that changed everything and set the pattern for us to continue today. And I want to read a little bit of, of Acts chapter 2 uh, to you. Is that okay? And you can follow along on the screen if you want to. And I'm starting in verse 36. Now, this was after the, Holy, the baptism of the Holy Spirit showed up. And, and it says that in the upper room where all the disciples were, that it, it appeared as if tongues of fire. That's, what they were, that's, how, that's how they could describe what they were seeing. Tongues of fire were descending and falling on their heads. And, and it says they began to speak in tongues and speak in other language. They received a supernatural prayer language that God used as a tool to connect with people around them at that particular time. And it created such a scene that literally thousands of people were attracted to the place where this was happening. And it says that people are like, what is this? <laughs> They're like, what the heck's going on? I get that a lot, people talking about church stuff. What the heck is going on? Glad you asked. Let's talk about it. Because God loves you. Something's happening. Something's moving. Something's stirring in our city. There's a hunger. Come on, there's a hunger inside of people. Even if they don't know what it's about, they're searching after something. And you need to know that as a Jesus follower, you have what they are searching for. Most of the time, people just don't know how to identify it. Is it a vibe? Is it an energy? Is it an entity? Is it something? Is it the moon? Is it the stars? Use that as an opportunity to begin to speak what God, who God is and what he's doing in your life. So the Holy Spirit poured out, and everyone's like, what the heck's going on? Some people are like, yeah, they're just drunk. And then Peter, in all of his wisdom, he goes, it's only 9 in the morning. <laughs> Thank you, Peter. Thank you. If it was 9 p.m., you might have an argument. No, I don't know. But that's what Peter said. It says that Peter got up and it says he began to preach. This was the first message that was ever preached in the church. And it was preached by the person who didn't, just a few days before had denied Christ multiple times. So he's preaching to these people. He's telling them about Jesus. He's telling them about going to the cross and the resurrection. 
And in, in verse 36 says, so let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Messiah. It says that Peter's words pierced their hearts, and they said to him and to the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? Like the Holy Spirit was moving on their hearts. They're like, well, what do we, what do, we do? Like, this isn't good. We're, we're, I feel like we're in a bad situation. We don't want to perish. We want to be saved. We, wanna, we want everything that Jesus was saying that we need. And it says, Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God. We've talked about this many times. Repent isn't just what the crazy people in the street corner put on the big signs and yell at people. Repenting literally means that you're heading in one direction that is going to destruction. Things aren't working out, right? And it says that you turn 180 degrees and you go in the opposite direction. But repenting in the kingdom of God means you're not just going in a different direction with your own willpower. You go from following your own way to following Christ. And he's leading you in a whole new way that, bring, that brings life. It says each one of you must repent and turn from your sins, turn to God, and be baptized in the name of, of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He doesn't go into detail here because it just happened and everybody was witnessing what just happened. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It says this promise is to you, to your children. Some of y'all need to receive that today. This is for your children. Being a Jesus follower isn't just for grown-up adults. You need to understand that children have an ability to receive what God has for them in a way that adults cannot. You need to understand that your children do not receive a child-sized version of the Holy Spirit. As a matter of fact, I think often children carry a stronger anointing of the Holy Spirit because they don't have the doubt and the analytical issues that adults have. They're not trying to justify their actions. They're not trying to understand, well, what, what is this real? I've heard arguments against this. And children are like, no, this is it. This is great. God heals. I'm going to pray for you. Boom. And things begin to happen. Don't think that your kids are too young to be taught this. You need to be teaching this to them. I don't know where I was. For your children and to those far away, it says, all who have been called by the Lord our God. Then Peter continued preaching for a long time. See, there's biblical justification for long preaching. Strongly, you're like, no, I don't think that's what that meant, Pastor. I think if you go to the original. Anyway, strongly urging all the listeners, save yourselves from this crooked generation. It says, those who believed what Peter said were baptized. The word baptism here is actually speaking to water and Holy Spirit. This was not just, oh, well, the Holy Spirit was just for those people that were up in that room, now we're back to the water. No, it was a both hand. They were all baptized, added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. That's a, good, that's a good church launch. I'm just going to be honest with you. How many came to your launch? Well, we had 3,000 people get saved and baptized on the first week. Was, all right, good for you. Okay. No, that's fantastic. It says those who believe, that means that there were more than 3,000 there listening. Here's the cool thing. This is just a minor nerdy detail. All the people that were there were there from all over the known world who had returned to Jerusalem for, for celebrating uh, Pentecost. And it says that, well, where were they going to go when this was over? They're going to go back home. They came one way. They heard about Jesus. They got saved. They got filled with the Holy Spirit. And then instantly on the first day of the church, we have 3,000 missionaries being sent out all over the world. And you think about that. Here's the game changer. Because... When, when you begin to walk in your purpose, there are things about your community that have to adjust. 
Because if you continue to be involved and, and, and engaged in the same community, in the same relationships, in the same situations, in the same scenarios that you were in before you came to Christ, Community basically means it's people who come have common unity around something and they're walking in the same direction together. But what happens when your direction changes? What happens when all of a sudden you're not the same person that you were the other day? What happens when your purpose, instead of being something you're trying to figure out, becomes something that's supernatural? It began to change. It says all the believers, not just some, it said all the believers devoted, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. It says, a deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything that they had. you got to understand the context here as well as that they were being persecuted. So they were literally, some of them were losing their homes, some of them were being kicked out of communities, and, and they were having to live together because this new community was developed. It wasn't just, oh, we're, 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 we just wanna hang out with each other all the time, that's why we're together. No, it's because they were all they had. <clears throat> it says they worshiped together at the temple each day, and it says, and they met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and they shared meals in great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. The outworking of the Holy Spirit leads to people coming to Christ. It didn't say whenever they had a monthly or a quarterly outreach, people came and were added to the church. It says every stinking day. Why? Because what God was doing in their life became the life that they lived and they went to tell everybody about it. <clears throat> so here's a few things. I'm probably gonna get to one of these. So here's point number one, we'll pick up next week. Supernatural purpose is found within community. Supernatural purpose is found within community. Philippians, uh, it's in the New Testament, Philippians chapter one, verse 27, you can write this down. It says, above all, you must live as citizens of heaven. That's a huge line, especially as we get closer and closer to election and political season, sometimes we focus so much on our citizenship of where we are and, and the citizenship of where other peoples are and, and where they should be and where they shouldn't be. And, and, and I love this reminder. It says, above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. This was an issue then too because they were still under Roman occupation. And there was a, there was a sense of nationalism within the nation of Israel that wanted to fight against the Romans. Even then, they were being reminded, guys, it's not about where you are now, it's about where God's trying to take you. You're citizens of heaven first. It says, then whether I come and see you uh, again or only hear about you, I will know that you are, listen to this, standing together with one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. When you know your purpose, you know what you can fight for. When you don't know your purpose, sometimes we end up fighting the people that we're supposed to be walking with. When we don't know our purpose, we end up fighting against people that are even trying to save us. We don't know what love is because we're too busy trying to fight and protect ourselves because we don't live in a, with a sense of purpose. But when you live with a sense of supernatural purpose, knowing where it comes from, knowing who God is, and knowing the fact that before you were even born, he knew your name, he knew who you would be, it begins to change everything. God wants us, the church, Convo Church, as well as the rest of the churches that preach Jesus Christ and the word of God. 
He wants them to exist in a sense of unity, in a place of unity, walking together. Well, how come we don't just have one building where we all meet? It's because God's given us the ability to reach different people. And so we complement each other. We don't compete with each other. We're not trying to be the best church in town. There's no such thing. We're just trying to be who God's called us to be in this town. Because <clears throat> God will give us the ability to reach people that other churches can't. And they have the ability to reach people that we don't have the grace for. And so it's a compliment, guys. It's not a competition. And let me tell you, if you leave churches because you don't like something, there's a guarantee that you probably will find something here that you don't like also. But if you make where you are about the purpose that God has placed inside of you, then you will be able to look past the things that you don't like to be a part of what God is doing in you, as well as the people that he's linking you arms with. This is one of the coolest things about church is that in any other setting, the vast majority of the people that, that come to Convo, we don't have any business doing life together. We would never run into each other. We would never hang out together. We would never meet each other. But God in his infinite crazy wisdom said, I'm gonna create something that brings people together of different economic status, of different racial ethnicities, of different political beliefs, of different ideas of how things should be. And I'm gonna make them do life together. Like, God, what is wrong with you? Don't you know that this is crazy? He's like, yeah, it's supernatural. But you know what? When the world sees different people coming together, unified around one purpose, it gives them hope about what they haven't experienced yet themselves. Because in the world around us, all we see is division. We hear people talking about love, but love is demonstrated through division. How does that work? And if you don't agree with me, then you hate me. Well, that's not how that works. Disagreeing has never been about love and hate. Disagreeing has been about different opinions. It's what you do with the disagreement that determines whether you hate or whether you love. Hmm. Purpose is always unlocked with others going in the same direction. So here's the thing. If you're struggling with your purpose, you need to ask yourself, who am I walking with? Because you may be walking in a direction that's opposite of where people are trying to pull you. And I get it, we could probably go into this pretty deep because sometimes there might be people trying to pull you in a different direction that are trying to save your life because where you're headed is for destruction. And I'm not even talking about hell. You can be, you can be a saved Christian and still be walking in the wrong direction in this life. You may end up well, but God didn't die on the cross so that we can be saved and not go to hell. He died on the cross so that we could be saved and live in this life called. Too many of us are just holding our breath, waiting for this life to be over so we can get to heaven. God's like, yeah, but I got, the whole reason you're here is because I got stuff for you to do. The whole reason why I saved you is because somebody needs to know that you know that they can be saved too. The whole reason that I brought you out of the addiction life that you used to be in was because you know people that are in the addiction life that need to know they can get out. And it's not just because they tried hard and they threw stuff down the toilet and flushed it, it's because they've been radically transformed, supernaturally changed and given purpose to. Your community determines your destiny. This is why as your, as your pastors, Kara and I will never shy away from the reality that we think that people should be here every single Sunday. And it's not a religious duty. It's because you constantly are gonna be around a community here that is going to inspire purpose in you, encourage life, build faith inside of you. We don't really get to hang out with everybody Monday through Saturday, but we have small groups called, called crews that kind of help make that happen too. But the reality is, is that, you know, I, I, and I've, I've seen this happen so many times. Somebody comes here, 
And it's not even just here. I've been in church my whole life. I've seen it everywhere. Somebody comes here for a little while and, and God gets a hold of their life. <clears throat> things begin to change. Things begin to improve in their life. Relation, they begin to get, uh, you know, wisdom and different things. They, they let go of what was hurting them. They begin to pick up things that are transforming their life in a, in a positive way. And they get to a point where like, man, I'm great now. I feel good. I'm all fixed. And then they disappear. You're like, hey, have you seen so-and-so? Hey, have you seen so-and-so? No, I'm they're trying to call them and text them miss them. And then you see on Facebook months later, you see everything falling apart. And you're like, come on guys, just, just keep walking with us. It's not because we're perfect, we, we ain't. <laughs> just keep walking with us because God started something in you, but he's just getting started. There's a beautiful journey that God desires to take you on through the community of faith that will impact the community that's not walking in faith but ultimately will unlock your supernatural purpose. Don't give up on the church because it's broken and imperfect because the church is the very thing that Jesus died to give birth to. If Jesus thought he could do it better, he'd still be here. He already rose from the dead, he's, he's conquered death. He could have just continued to exist. And as generations rose up and died off, he'd still be here, hey, good, hey no wonder. Y'all just go through the 101 and the 201. I'm Jesus, I'll teach you how things go. We'll get this thing going again. We'll create, we'll create a system of leaders and blah, blah, blah. We'll do all this. No, he goes, I'm gonna go back to heaven and it's better that I go back to heaven because if I don't, then I can't put my spirit inside of you. Last week, we, um, we talked about the baptism of Holy Spirit and, and for people who, who who have been in church for any period of time or grew up in church, you know, that, that can be a place of contention for, for some people because it gets taught differently all the time. And, and I, told, I told you guys last week that my goal in teaching about the baptism of the Holy Spirit isn't for us to be a Pentecostal church or whatever label you wanna put on it. It's to be a church that, that opens up God's word, that gets to know who God is, that gets to know who Jesus is. And, and we see the things that Jesus says that we need and we embrace those things. And we see the way that the early church began to walk and function in and we begin to do the same things. You can't be who God's called you to be without the Holy Spirit in your life. And I'm not just talking about some vague generic uh, indwelling of the Holy Spirit, that, yeah, yeah, he's with me, I know he's with me. No, when we baptize people in water, we don't just you know, kick a puddle at their face. We don't shoot them with a super soaker. We put them in a horse trough. That's right, we're a church plant. We have a horse trough, that's our baptismal. And when we say that we now baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit under the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ, we don't splash them. We dunk their tails under the water and then we pull them back up. Why? Because that word baptism means fully immersed. It's the exact same word they used for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit shouldn't just be locked up in a prison cell inside your heart trying to help you live saved. The Holy Spirit should be in, uh, in just completely immersing every aspect of who you are, body, soul, and spirit, so that you can live called. And we're not trying to make it about our gifts and our expressions, we're trying to make it about our supernatural purpose that gets used to reach a lost, broken, and dying world. And so when, and at the end of the service last week, we, we asked for individuals that wanted to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And, and this is where as a pastor, I get super real. Because if we understood how desperately we need it, after church on Sunday, this area would have been flooded with people, desperate and hungry. And you know what? I have all the grace in the world for that because I know that we're on a journey to lead people in the right direction. And some people gotta take 
one step at a time. I've been plenty of times in my life where I'm like, you know, like, what about Bob? That's a very old movie reference. Baby step to the elevator. Baby step to the elevator. It's like, it's okay, just keep moving. Just keep moving. Just keep taking one step. Take a half step, but keep moving forward. And I want to encourage you to continue to wrestle with it. Continue to ask because the Holy Spirit, as it's said in the book of Acts, is a gift. And God is a good father and he gives good gifts. He doesn't, he doesn't make you earn gifts. A gift is not something that is earned. A gift is something that is freely given. And if God is gonna give a gift, he's gonna give it to you. When you ask for it, whether you get a prayer language or whether you don't get a prayer language right away, that's not the only sign. When you ask for it, the father gives it to you. And it will begin to supernaturally transform you from the inside out. Yeah, you should pursue a prayer language. You should pursue speaking in tongues. And we can go deeper into that. But the reality is, is that you need to pursue everything that God has for you. Everything. If Jesus says you need it, you need to say, got it, I'm going for it. Because as I read earlier after worship, we don't lean on our own understanding. Yeah, but I don't understand it all the way. It's okay. There were 12 guys that followed Jesus around for three and a half years and still didn't understand everything. And they didn't understand it until Jesus died, until he rose from the dead, until he revealed himself to them. And they're like, oh, so that was, that was real, what you were saying. Okay, now we get it. It's okay. We need to understand that we're not doing church just because we have nothing else to do. We're doing church because we're continuing something that Jesus started. And that for some crazy reason, he's entrusted in our, our hands to move forward. But at least he didn't leave us on our own. He said, I'm gonna give you my spirit and I want you to seek after it every single day. You know what, there are days, I'll speak for myself, there are days where I feel so empty and incapable of doing anything for God. And I know in those days, those are the days where I need to get out of my own head and I need to just go and spend some time and I need to pray in the spirit and I need to ask God, hey, you know what, there's some stuff up here that ain't of you, can you? Help me get this thing out and fill it with you. That's for everybody. God's not just expecting everything to be magically perfect for you all of a sudden. That's not how it works. Every single day, you need to spend time with Jesus. Every single day, you need to spend time in your word. Every single day, you need to ask the Holy Spirit to fill you again. Because I don't know about you, but sometimes life can suck it out of you. I don't know if that's too real for you or not. Hopefully that's okay. Can I pray for you? I've done what Peter did preached a long time, but it's in, it's in the Bible, so bow your heads, if you will, and, um, and again, after, um, at the end of our worship experience today, we'll have our prayer team members up here, and they're here to pray for anything that you may be going through, but I encourage you, ask them to pray with you to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's not spooky, it's not weird, it's not super religious, it's just what Jesus says that you need. Thanks again for listening to the Convo Church Podcast. If you enjoyed this message, do us a favor. Subscribe to this podcast, rate and review us on iTunes, and share our podcast with your family, friends, and team members. If you live in the Reno area, come and be a part of Convo Church. Check us out on ConvoChurch.com and follow us on social media at Convo Church. We'll see you next time here on the Convo Church Podcast.